The following is a paid program. It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation. Here's the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to our Tuesday edition of the Leach Report. Beautiful, sunny day here in Lexington, and um, getting a little warmer this week, but um, glad you are uh, with us today uh, for our lineup of guests that will include former Wildcat Jeremy Jarman, now with us on the uh, U.K. Radio Network uh, pregame shows for football. So hopefully he'll be uh, back at work with uh, the rest of us come September 5th. That's uh, still the plan, so hopefully that happens. Um, So we'll talk with uh, Jeremy about some of the things that uh, are going on in our uh, our world. Also a little Kentucky football as well. John Clay from the Herald-Leader. And our final guest is a gentleman uh, who works for NASA, uh, Dr. Philip Mead, who is a Kentuckian. So since I uh, knew him uh, and knew he was from uh, Kentucky, I thought it would be neat to get a uh, local connection to uh, a really incredible moment on Saturday when the uh, SpaceX rocket uh, launched into space and from all accounts the mission is going very well wildcat news of the day a service of cardinal point financial group that is a private wealth advisory practice of ameriprise financial services uh we will uh, spend a little more time today uh talking about what is going on in the world i think uh, it is important to to do that but um and um We'll get we'll get some other things worked in as well, and as I mentioned, the uh, talk about what happened uh, down at Cape Canaveral on Saturday, as well. As for a little bit of the sports news, uh, Kyle Tucker, of course, with us on Mondays and uh, uh, yesterday, uh, we uh, we didn't get into any uh, Kentucky football discussion. But he had a great uh, story that is out at the Athletic about his uh, annual state of the program story they do these for programs all over the country and kyle does the one for kentucky so it's an extensive uh, look at kentucky football heading into the new season a lot of good quotes from mark stoops he talks about how the success that they've had has uh, fed into their improved recruiting and uh, a couple of interesting quotes from coach stoops uh, one the frustration of 50 and 75 years of losing here my team shouldn't have to answer for that and recruits don't care about that and a little later he went on to say we're finally getting past all that and it's pretty nice that i really don't have to hear about that history all the time anymore but the the good thing and i i certainly uh, appreciate his uh, statements there the thing that i think i would also add is that i, I liked the how he handled this from the time he came on board uh understandable that you know he he uh didn't like having to answer uh, a lot of questions for things that he had no control over and his players didn't have any control over but he still answered them uh, he, uh, you know, uh, handled the job the, the right way, and he talked about what their focus was, and they weren't going to talk about that. They were going to talk about, you know, controlling what they could control. And they went then they went out and did it, and they took care of business. And so they've 
knock down a lot of those uh, doors, barriers, whatever you want to call them. So uh, I, I liked, I uh, just wanted to add the, that part is I liked how he, uh, he handled this. He wasn't, uh, really defensive about it. He, uh, took it on, but still made his point clear in doing so. He also, uh, when talking about the, the teams, uh, the individual players and position groups, uh, there were a couple of statements that jumped out. Um, one I saw Freddie Maggard, uh, seized on. Uh, in his latest post at, at KSR, and it was about Quentin Bohanna. Quentin's really motivated to take a big jump in his last year, Stoop said, and I can't wait to see it. He's going to have a big year. He's dedicated, and he's the leader of that group. So that's uh, really exciting to hear if you're a Kentucky football fan. Um, he also talked about seeing the motivation in the eyes of Boogie Watson that he saw in Josh Allen heading into his final season. And if you look at some of Boogie's numbers, uh, they are not that different from what Josh's were going into that senior season. So I think uh, a lot of reason to be very optimistic about that Kentucky defense this fall. And uh, with everything that's been going on, we didn't get to this yesterday, but over the weekend, Kentucky picked up another commitment on defense, a Juco inside linebacker, Joko Willis, originally from LaGrange, Georgia, uh, that had been a uh, pipeline back in the Rich Brooks era for Kentucky with guys like Wesley Woodyard, Braxton Kelly. Uh, he picked Kentucky over Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Kansas State. 6'3", 220. He'll have three years of eligibility when he comes to Kentucky. Links to the stories that we talk about each day, you can find those on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're heading to a break, and when we come back, Jeremy Jarman will join the program. It is the Leach Report Radio Network. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Welcome back into our Tuesday edition of the show. About a quarter past the top of the hour, we welcome to the to the show via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline, Jeremy Jarman. From our uh, UK radio network broadcast team, and of course, a, uh, a former Wildcat and um, a new new dad. How old's the the little guy now? He's four months. Um, I think I sent you a couple pictures the other day. I think uh, we both agreed <laughs> that he gets those good looks from his mom. <laughs> yes, I tweeted to you back that when you sent me the picture, I said, "Oh, your kids are like mine. Dominant female genes." Thankfully. <laughs> So yeah, he's uh, four months. Got those shots uh, yesterday, actually, and uh, he's rebounded and recovered. I'd still be sore from those shots, but uh, he's uh, he's happy and wants to go to the pool today. So I think we're going to oh. get a little bit of sun. Good, uh, good for him. Um, yeah, I was, when I saw that uh, picture, uh, and there, you know, you can bring a a, a lot of. Uh, perspectives to this discussion so i wanted to get you on but one of the the things i, I thought about is that you've uh, you and, you, and uh, your wife just brought a new uh child into the world four months ago and so you right. you have to be thinking a lot about you know what the world's going to look like as he grows up yeah absolutely uh, you know have those conversations and uh, hopefully everybody's having those conversations with their kids at home and uh I think everybody can probably agree right now that some of the things that are happening right now uh, uh, aren't conducive to uh, to America having a good, um, uh, just the, the end of the day. 
Um, you know, we got to get makers, oh. uh, judges, people in a room that are, you know, that, that really want to uh, help move our country forward in terms of promoting justice. And I think that, that that'll be how we bring about peace ultimately. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't you at one point when back when you were playing, thinking about going into a law enforcement career? Yeah, absolutely. FBI, FBI. if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my mom's a retired cop in Memphis. Uh, grew up in the police station. My uh, stepfather's lieutenant on the fire department. Grew up in the fire department. So, uh, you know, there's no doubt that I stand with. Uh, you know, with you know, with our uh, public servants, uh, you know, law enforcement and uh, healthcare, obviously where I am now. But uh, I just think that we're kind of in a situation where um, it's possible that the power that unions have over over uh, over some areas, some cities, that you know, it just seems like for whatever reason, some of your more incompetent employees are. They're protected as opposed to protecting the citizens. Yeah, um, and, uh, you and I we're, we're we're both in fields and professions where if you're not good at your job, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get fired, and you're going to get replaced. And I think that that needs to be the case um, across the board, even in government positions. And when you have people out here who've taken on the kind of complaints that have taken on, you know, some of the recent situations, dozens of formal complaints. Um, you got to cut ties with some of these individuals or they're going to be an embarrassment. They're going to be a stain on your city. Um, and, and some of their actions are going to, they're going to be in history books. And, 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 and that's what we got to get to. And, uh, it's important, I think, because what you're saying, because it, um, it, it makes it more difficult for the majority of the people who, uh, are doing things the right way, the officers and first responders in all those fields. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the job that they have is extremely tough. Uh, the job that physicians and nurses have is extremely tough. But in those jobs and those positions, you create, you, you know, if you, if you have a few egregious errors, um, you know, practicing medicine or practicing nursing, uh, you're going to lose your license. And um, and rightfully so. And yeah. I think that we need to see the same thing in law enforcement. When you find, you know, majority cops and fire, all of those people, they're good. You got a few bad seeds, just like in any other sector. But when you find those bad seeds, and in the healthcare sector where I am, we know who the good doctors are. We know who the good nurses are, and, and typically people who are who are uh, are extreme liabilities. Tom, they're typically let go. You know, you can't protect, you know, Cal says in basketball, you you know, you, sometimes you can't protect a player. And, and in some of these positions, you can't protect an employee when, when, when they have such tremendous responsibility in their community to protect people. Why is it, uh, was it important and is it important for uh, coaches and administrators to speak out right now, as many have? It's very important because if they're not speaking out, Tom, who is the advocate for the student athlete? When I came to Lexington, Kentucky, and my parents, they endorsed that decision. Um, they endorsed that decision because of the people on those recruiting visits that said that they were going to do their part in raising me 
and bringing me along and criticizing me when I needed to be criticized. They they had to be an extension of my parents. And when I when I stepped out of line, they had to be responsible adults. They had to pick up the phone and call my parents and let them know, you know, that maybe some of the things that I were doing that I was doing or, you know, my studies I could be doing better. And, you know, and that's the role that these that these uh that these people in the athletic department play, your coaches play, your strength coach plays. They spend more time with you over the course of those four or five years. Tom Coach Brooks, Coach Hill, those individuals, their impact on our lives was tremendous. I mean our work ethic comes from uh comes from the plans and you know the 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 repetition uh that they put in place for us to program and uh if 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 the coaches if your coaches aren't advocating for you in situations like this i tell you what uh it puts your it puts your student athletes in a very uncomfortable place and position you know to sit back and um and 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 you'll start to lose the respect of your players. And I suspect you're going to see that in some places. You're going to see in some places where uh, where the response, I think that there is going to be blowback. And I, and I can say that because, Tom, I'm looking at Columbia, Missouri. And you look at Missouri, their first two years in the SEC, Tom, they're in the SEC championship game. And the social issues that hit that community – and hit that campus has devastated their athletic department and their campus. They had dorms last fall that weren't open. Student enrollment across the entire state, University of Missouri State um, University systems down. Dorms are closed. Athletic department struggling. Uh, University of Missouri trending for all the wrong reasons last night and this morning because of these unsolved uh, unmitigated problems that are happening in the community right there in Columbia and surrounding. Talk with Jeremy Charmo. We'll take a quick break and uh, come back to our discussion. John Clay <clears throat> a little later and Dr. Philip Mead from uh, NASA as well here on this Tuesday edition of the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Second half of our Tuesday show, we welcome in John Clay via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at KentuckySports.com and in the Lexington Herald Leader. And, uh, John, you and I went through UK at the same time, grew up in neighboring small towns in the 10th region. Um, so uh, I think I've known you long enough and, and well enough to uh, uh, guess that you can certainly, like I can, understand where the the anger and the frustration uh, comes from at this time. It's when 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 anybody is ignored or thinks they're marginalized, um, it it can lead to uh, angry reactions, right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, very much so, and I think uh, you know that's a lot of lot of what we're uh, what we're seeing uh, over these past few days. It's been interesting to see the response from uh, uh, you know the co- various coaches and athletic directors um, in solidarity. Um, some of it's been kind of an orchestrated response. I know the Pac-12. I think of the Big Twelve. 
uh, kind of did one response with their uh, coaches and athletic directors. The SEC was more uh, kind of left up to each individual. I know Tennessee and Vanderbilt put out United uh, on social media anyway, like a United uh, uh, statement where others have done coaches. Cal's put his uh, uh, coffees with Cal on hold while he's he wants to work and try and do other things. So, But, no, you're exactly right. I think that's what it comes down to, ignore People feel like they're being ignored and mistreated and marginalized, and they're reacting to that. And you know, you are a, a columnist, so you're looking for you know to to write about things that are going on in your world. So, how do you um, approach that that job now at a time like this? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're looking. I mean, you know, I'm a sports columnist. I'm not a political columnist. Uh, you know, we have other people. You know, Linda Blackford does a terrific job with that. And so you don't want to, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, tread on their territory uh, too much. But I do think that there are, um, you know, I'm trying to look at it, too, from away from the sports perspective. And like I talk about, you know, with the coaches and the athletic programs, you know, there's so many African-American athletes that are, are involved in uh, uh, in sports. And, coach, you know, part of, especially at the college level, you know, you, maybe it's idealism, and maybe this has become less so over the years uh, with, with so much money now involved in it. But you you think that there's more, there should be more to it than just playing sports. You know, that you learn when you when you play sports, you learn about teamwork. Uh, you learn about your uh, fellow man. I've been thinking a lot. I've been thinking here in the last couple of days, and I'm thinking about writing something about this. Is uh, someone we both know well, Bill Curry, and uh, mm-hmm. go back to Curry's when Curry, the former UK coach. We talked about his his experience both in professional football, um, you know, in dealing with other African American athletes, and you know, he had told the story about the huddle, you know, his yes. famous line in the, at the huddle about you know the sweat sm- all smells the same in the huddle, uh, and everybody's working towards a team goal. And I went back last night, was reading some of the stuff that Bill had written about, you know, he he really had not had much contact with African American athletes until he got to the NFL. And he tried to talk to him, and he really didn't know how to talk to him because he had not been around him. And they taught him so much. Willie Davis, who was who became his good friend, who came and spoke at UK, um, the for, former Green Bay Packer player, uh, had a profound influence on him. Mar Fleming, who was with the Packers, had a profound uh, influence on him when he was with the Packers. And the people uh, that he played with on the Colts, um, you know, and Bill has been very eloquent on that subject. So I, I went back last night was reading some of this stuff that, uh, Bill had written about him uh, over the years, and uh, you know I think that there are some teachable moments here. Uh, I, I've always considered to myself to have been very blessed to grow up where I did because in Paris we had a guy named Delza Maggard that came to our Y in the sixties yeah. from Lexington and started uh, one of the the best uh, YMCA programs uh, in in the country, really, and. Right. We started. We were as early as third grade. Uh, we were engaged in a sports program through the Y that had us uh, kids of all colors competing with each other on Saturdays, practicing. You know, once during the week, somebody would come to our elementary schools, and then we competed against each other, and then we uh, hung out at the Y together. And so you'd you'd you might argue in the game, and then you might be, you know, in the swimming pool together that afternoon, or at right. day camp, or those kind of things. And it, uh, I, I wish every community uh, could have that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And we're, you know, different. You know, people of our age, when you know schools were desegregated, you know, we grew up 
with more, uh, you know, because we went to school with them and with African American kids, and they got, you know, friends, became friends with them more so than older generations. Speaking of Delza, <laughs> Delza Maggard is uh, one of my favorite lines that I tell the story every once in a while. I played church league basketball at the YMCA because we went to church in Paris. And uh, at a the banquet one year, end-of-the-year banquet, the late Jim Dinwiddie was the speaker. Of course, we were all a god because he was a U.K. basketball player. Uh, but they, Dale's announced, at the at the banquet, Dale's announced uh, a, uh, a fundraising effort to build a new gym, which they did. And at the when he was uh, giving his little speech about it, he said, and, and we're not going to put any bleachers in this year. And it was because <laughs> when we put it in, because he was tired of the parents complaining. <laughs> 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 I'm sure a lot of people can so identify with that. I was taken aback, and I think he was sort of kidding, but he but he definitely got his point across. But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, you're, but the point you make is exactly right. I mean, you know, we we were fortunate because uh, you know it was it was it, it was no big deal. It got to be no big deal, uh, and because of that, and so uh, yeah, you're right. We were fortunate to, to have that opportunity. Yeah, and one more note on Delza. This is uh, for, you know, it's a lot of people don't, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> don't know who he is, but it was, uh, it's a great story. But anyway, I went to his funeral, and the most powerful eulogy I think I've ever seen was delivered uh, by a young man who grew up in the Y who uh, was an African American, uh, Raymond Smith. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. Uh, powerful, powerful uh, about, you know, the, the impact. So and it, it goes to show you how, you know, as we're getting back into youth sports and things that coaches and people who organize things for, for kids can help hopefully lay some foundation for uh, the world getting better as they get older. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, my two boys, I wanted them to play sports. I didn't really, uh, it didn't matter to me if they were, you know, great at sports or anything like that. I, but I wanted them to play to have that experience mainly for, you know, the teamwork and getting to play and you have to get along and you have to learn to share uh, and I think that's one of the great things that sports, you know, can teach. Sports can teach on any level, and uh, you know, and I think, uh, like I said, I go back to Bill Curry and what he said about what he learned about just playing with African American players, uh, people that he had not been, you know, uh, exposed to, and and he wouldn't have been exposed to them uh, on that level if he had not played, you know, professional sports. Talking with John Clay from the Lexington Herald Leader. Uh, let me ask you about uh, your most recent column at KentuckySports.com, uh, dealing with uh, transfer waivers. And Kentucky's obviously waiting to hear on Olivier Saar, Johnny Chazan just got approved. I have said that, <laughs> observing this over the last few years, it, it has kind of felt like I was watching Wheel of Fortune, and they just spin the wheel, and you get eligible, <laughs> or you or you don't. Because right. uh, it was hard to understand a lot of times the the rhyme or reason. Um, and it sounds like you you share that feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds to me like uh, you know that they're they want to move they're they want to move towards the one time transfer waiver. You can tra- you can transfer one time and you get a waiver. But there's been a lot of pushback for that, and so they postponed the vote or at least postponed the impl- implementation until January. My fear on and I'm all for that. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm all for the one time transfer waiver. My fear is there's a lot of time between now and January, so the opposition to that can rally their forces and try to get it defeated in January. But it does seem like they're being a little more lenient, but it's still, 
you know, you know, and I brought up in the column at Connecticut last year a Tennessee player who left ten- women's basketball player left Tennessee after Ollie Warlick was fired and went to Connecticut, and she didn't get the you know her transfer waiver was denied. Um, she they appealed. She ended up hurting, uh, getting injured during the year, so she couldn't play anyway. Getting injured in practice. But, you know, but then on the other hand, you know, other places, other uh, people they've let uh, go for other reasons. They've given them a transfer waiver for other reasons. You know, it's almost like you'd let, like, it's all or nothing. Either everybody gets a waiver or nobody gets a waiver because it just seems too arbitrary in the way that they, they decide things. And I, I didn't mean in my column to say that Johnny Juzang should not have get, received a waiver or that Quade Green and, and Jamal Baker should not receive waivers last year. But it does seem arbitrary. And one of the things it also seems like is um, how the uh, university where the player is transferring from, how they feel about it. Calipari and UK have a record with their transfers of helping them get waivers. And I think uh, players who have transferred away, which I think is good, you know, good business for the for the uh, team as far as recruiting goes. I always go back to, you know, the SEC had a pretty much hard and fast rule that you couldn't transfer to another SEC school and when Billy Donovan got to Florida, he let several of his players go to other SEC schools. And I think that kind of changed the uh, attitude of some of the other SEC schools about how to do that. So, you know, but right, you're right. It does have kind of a wheel of fortune feel to it right now. And um, the decision, we don't know what the what the timeline's going to be. What I, for Olivier, what I have said is like, it seems to be, sometimes these things seem simple. I don't know, maybe there's more to it, that if if there's a pushback on the uh, immediate eligibility, then fine. Take a little more time and discuss that. In the meantime, let's say if your coach, if the coach you signed up to play for is no longer who you're playing for, you get to transfer and be eligible immediately. That's that's a compromise. I think every almost every coach would agree with. Right. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course. You know, you have some say, well, they don't sign with the coach. They sign with the school, yeah, they sign yeah, with yeah. the institution. <laughs> and yeah, exactly, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, so who, who, so is it the, is Eli Calipu, is it, you know, Dr. Eli Capaluto, is he the one who goes and recruits these players? No, it's John Calipari. It's Mark Stoops. Right. He might be part of the process, but he's not the main person. So, yeah, I, you know, I think that's very uh, naive and unrealistic way to look at it. So, no, yeah, that would be a, I've said that all along. Uh, if, if a coach is fired, the coach leaves, then the player ought to be able to transfer uh, because you know that's usually one of the main reasons why they came why they came to the school. Very true, John. Thank you much for the discussion, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk to you down the road. Thanks, Tom. It's John Clay. You can read him at KentuckySports dot com. The column we're talking about about transfer waivers uh, and uh, and more. Uh, the Lexington Herald Leader. We'll come back, talk to Dr. Philip Bede from NASA on the Leach Report. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. About 11 before the top of the hour to the KentuckyHipWorks.com hotline we go to bring on Dr. Philip Mead with NASA. And uh, Dr. Mead is a native of Harlan, Kentucky, and is also uh, the cousin of our friend Freddie Maggard. And he's now the uh, Dr. Mead, the Associate Director for Spaceport Integration and Services at NASA. And I just thought it would be cool, Dr. Mead, to have you jump on and tell us, uh, give us your perspective on uh, what happened last Saturday down at Cape Canaveral where you work. Uh, with the SpaceX launch that uh, 
was the private-public partnership with SpaceX and NASA. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm happy to do that. It was uh, it was a phenomenal day for us at NASA. We were thrilled to be able to, to see um, Americans going back into space from American soil being launched here from Kennedy Space Center once again. And it was a culmination of nine years of, of hard work and uh, um, a lot of uh, a lot of changes that we had to make within NASA in order to, to get to the point to where we could could see that success occur. It was back in the '60s, such an exciting time for the the country as we uh, uh, sent uh, Ben to the moon for the first time. And now this is, a, I guess, a step toward uh, going back to the moon and maybe someday to Mars, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's been a part of our strategy since, since honestly, since 2004, um, for us to get out of doing low Earth orbit operations and try and turn that over to private companies so that. Um, NASA itself isn't in the business of, of having to uh, maintain a shuttle fleet and take astronauts back and forth to International Space Station so that we can focus our, our budget on being able to do the, the exploration activities of you know, going back to the moon and then, then on to Mars after that. Uh, our producer, uh, Shannon, had a, had a question because he uh, was telling me uh, off the air yesterday he got really into this on Saturday as watching the launch and googling uh, for for questions so Shannon what, yeah. what do you have well I had a lot of questions but I think maybe the most fascinating thing is watching the takeoff it seemed like the astronauts were just sitting there they didn't seem to have much of a responsibility I didn't see them touch one button to be launched up into outer space so what is the responsibilities of the astronauts or is that all just controlled you know elsewhere Yep, it's all controlled elsewhere. You know, a lot of that stuff happens. Uh, it's controlled by computers. Um, we have, uh, you know, ground control sequencers that are taking into account a whole bunch of different measurements and, and activities that are going on to make sure that the right things are happening with the vehicle. So um, the astronauts, their their role is to be active participants and, and monitoring what's going on. Um, depending on what broadcast you, you watched, you, they may have pointed it out, but there was a, a T-handle. Um, between the two astronauts right in the middle so if they uh if they weren't comfortable or they they perceived that something was going wrong as they were reading the different um instrumentation readouts um they had the ability to to pull that and and actually uh do a a launch abort which would have ejected the spacecraft off of the top of the off the top of the rocket but assuming everything's proceeding nominally they they're they're pretty much along for the ride got another one shannon um so so they're up there for how long now um, this is going to be an extended orbit um, or mission. I'm not sure how many how many weeks or, or months they're going to be up there for, but they're going to be up there for for a while now. So, how did a guy from Harlan, Kentucky, uh, get inspired to uh, work at NASA? So, Tom, I'm, I'm going to correct you just a little bit. I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. My, oh, okay. my dad's from Harlan, Kentucky. Family's from Harlan. Probably what you're you're remembering. Yeah, my dad grew up there. Um, I grew up in Lexington and uh, went to the University of Kentucky, got a degree in electrical engineering there, and uh, um, I was uh, um, interested in, in working for, for NASA probably from, uh, you know, teenager on just because of the, the mission that they do and was fortunate enough to actually begin working for them while I was still in, in college at the University of Kentucky through their co-op program, and so... Um, went down there, started actually at the age of 19, um, working working for NASA, and 
um, it just uh, it just stuck. I, I really was was drawn to to the mission that they had, and 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 also just the idea of just of trying to do what feels like the impossible on a regular basis. Um, you know, it's being faced with uh, with really big challenges that are are fun to solve is, is a big part of what what motivates me. That's great. Um, and my my daughter, as you know, is uh, pursuing a career in the the science uh, field, and so uh, we were down there yep. for a tour a few years ago. It was so uh, interesting. I think you took us uh, by the the SpaceX launch pad, and um, I, I think it's uh, cool that it's a a Kentuckian that's uh, uh, involved down there. To have a, a local connection <laughs> is great, and yep. uh, uh, you know, you've all, down here, Tom. <laughs> you, oh, great, good. And you've yep. you've, over, you've overcome being related to Freddie Maggard. <laughs> I, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. Actually, you should be. I think you should be. Uh, he's he's the best, and um, I appreciate your time. It's I, it's great to get a, a local perspective on what was a you know a great day for our uh, country, and uh, looking forward to some exciting things. Thank you for your time, Doctor Mead. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's Dr. Philip Mead with NASA, and we'll get to a break and come back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report. Guests on the Leach Report come to you via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. It's another great Kentucky company that we talk about. It's a family-run operation. They are Kentucky proud. They grow the hemp in their fields in Christian County, process it into on-site into CBD oil and uh, hemp seed oil, uh, hemp root salve. Uh, my son had uh, sprained ankle and used some of the salve on the ankle and made a big difference. They also have some products for fishermen, a couple of new ones that are made entirely from hemp seeds. You can find out all about this at KentuckyHempWorks.com. They like to say they're more than just CBD, and you can find out what that means by checking out their channel on YouTube. A uh, couple of news notes. Former Auburn football coach Pat Dye has passed away at the age of 80, one of only six head coaches to win three consecutive SEC titles. Uh, trainer Brendan Walsh telling the Daily Racing Forum that uh, decisions can be made on Maxfield for the Belmont Stakes later this week. Comes off a, a nice win in the uh, Matt Wynn Stakes uh, a couple of weeks ago at Churchill Downs. And if he doesn't go to the Belmont, he'll probably run in the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland next month so should get that decision soon on maxfield that'll do it for today on the leach report we'll see you tomorrow have a good day everybody thanks for listening to the leach report make sure you check out the podcast page at tomleachky.com whenever you miss a show and be sure to follow the leach report facebook page if you have a question for tom email it to leachreport at gmail.com see you next time right here on the leach report radio